I told you last week, um, if, if I had to preach one message, it would have been that one. If uh, the Lord said, you only have one more to do, and, and I, I, would have, I would have chosen that particular message. This one, not so much, at least when I first started studying it. But um, after preaching it now a couple of times, I really started to lo- really love it a lot. It is, um, it is an amazing place in Scripture. It's, a, it's more a place where, where Paul is, is trying to teach us the very essence of what he wants to do, and that's to move us from where we are justified by faith, justified just as if we've never sinned, we have eternal life, but he wants us to move into that group of people who become sanctified, who become uh, serving our Lord, willing to spend our lives for him. Where, where he goes, we will go, we, we will follow. As a matter of fact, I'm going to close this message with one of my favorite places in Scripture. I won't tell you until we get to it, and I will remind you of it when we get there. But it's one of my favorite places, and uh, I'll share it with you then. Before we get into the message, let me say what is kind of critically important. Next Saturday night, move your clocks. (laughs) Next Saturday night, if you go to bed, let's say 10 o'clock, before you go to bed, move your clocks to 11 or you're going to be here late. Uh, so next Saturday, move your clocks from 10 to 11 if you go to bed at that time at night. My kids used to call this my holiday. I used to go around the clock fixing all, I mean around the house, setting all the clocks. And I would do them extra early and it would just confuse everybody. I got confused, but I love setting the clock. So that's my little thing that I do around the house. I don't do much, (laughs) but I set the clocks. Oh my, what a poor excuse. All right, let me just share with you. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 7? First, I'm going to read to you what we we studied last week because it's just an amazing verse. The last verse in chapter 6. The wages of sin, Paul wrote, is death. He said, but the free gift of God is eternal life. All of this, he says, is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I I said to you last week, these are three absolutes within this one verse. Payment of of a life of sin, rejection of Jesus Christ is death. That's that's a certainty. But to come to know our Lord and, and be obedient to Him as He has asked us to do brings forth a gift from God, which is everlasting life. The third absolute is God's blessings are found only in His Son, Jesus Christ. We know now a a gift is is something that that cannot be purchased. Really, a true gift is something that is given. It's not earned. It's not merited. It's something that that is given to uh, someone freely. And in this case, it was given out by God to those of us who simply believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, that is one point of of the whole idea of salvation. Our Lord gives us everlasting life. Very seldom are we taught that there's there's a cost to that. Our Lord said to the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, a verse that that oftentimes is not mentioned, uh, but actually that's not a true statement. You're going to know this verse once I start it. But he calls for his followers to pay the price of discipleship. Listen to our Lord's words. The Lord said to His disciples, of which now we are followers of His, His disciples, where you 
like we just sang a little while ago. Where you go, we will go. Where you stay, we will stay. Where you move, we will move. We will follow you. He said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, now I know you're going to know what I'm going to say now, remember? He says, You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me daily. He goes on to say in the next verse, verse 25 of of Matthew chapter 16, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a great verse. Let me read it again. If anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus says, there is a cost. You, you, You must deny yourself, you must take up your cross, and you must follow me, he says. But if you do this, if you want to save your life, you will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now Paul is going to take us on this journey that must be learned. It's all about the law. It's all about faith. It's all about dying to self. And that, actually the, the purpose and the, the, the point, the key to this message is, is in verse 4. Let me read it to you. Kind of, let me tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'll tell you again in a moment. In chapter 7, verse 4, Paul writes, this is when he starts to really teach this lesson. The first three verses are just kind of a, um, an example, if you would. Therefore, he says, my brethren, talking to the family of God, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another. The another is, well, it says, to him who was raised from the dead. In other words, to be joined to Jesus Christ. And here's the purpose. Here's the reason we have died to ourselves. So that, he says at the end of verse 4, we might bear fruit for God. The purpose of your life and my life is to bear fruit. The reason we gather together is to encourage one another. The reason we gather together is to build up the body of Christ for the work of service so that we might serve Him together. And the reason God, when He, when He is... It's all right. I'll, I'll move. That's fine. I love having you. Don't you dare. Yes. Yes. But don't you dare move. You're fine. I'll try not to trip. The reason that the Lord gave you a gift when you came to trust in Him was so that you might use it to serve the body of Christ. That's the whole purpose of it. And to take a gift from the Lord and to kind of hoard it or to say, ah, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not good enough, you know. I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I, I, I don't have the time or, or whatever excuse we might use to to deny using the gift, the spiritual gift that the Lord God has given us, is a, is a terrible thing. Because He has given us that gift for one another. Your gift is, is going to build me up and it's going to make me more a man of God. And may I say, mine will help you. I know that's, that's the way it goes. We build each other up. And so when Paul writes in this seventh chapter, the fourth verse, 
that we might be joined to another, namely to him who has been raised from the dead, so that we might bear fruit for God. That's the, that's the essence of what he wants to teach us here in this lesson. And it's a, it's a marvelous place in the Word of God. Now, read with me, please. Let's read from verse 1 to verse 6 of Romans chapter 7. Paul begins by saying, Or do you not know, brethren? Now, wait. Let me. I'm sorry. Let me tell you this. This is really critically important. Uh, the, the understanding of the Greek language is critical to understanding this place in Scripture. Thank God that we have great uh, commentators, uh, people that understand Greek and can teach us what really needs to be said. Because the, 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 the article the in this first verse is not really there. It is really talking about law. Not just the law, meaning the law of God, but it's talking about law, whether it be Roman law, Greek law, or the law of God. And so Paul is going to teach a lesson about dying to the law and being alive in Christ so that we might bear fruit for God. Now let me read. Please let me start again. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Here he gives an example. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Now he teaches a spiritual lesson. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, we were at work, no, no, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What Paul is doing is clear and simple, but hopefully we'll be able to teach it clearly. He is separating those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ from being able to follow the law because the law was not supposed to bring us salvation. I'll teach you that this morning. We are being separated from the law to following our Lord by faith in this newness of spirit so that we might bear fruit for God. Let's, let's pray and let's get into this. This is, this is hopefully, uh, hopefully, let me get into it, please. Father, please forgive me. I'm really tongue-tied right at this moment. Um, so much I want to say. Uh, so please, uh, Lord... Uh, Help me to uh, forget about what I've said in the last two services. Help me to just uh, consider what I need to say for this time, these people, this, this moment. Would you move me aside, dear Lord, so I don't get in your way? So I don't uh, confuse the issue that is so clearly painted by Paul. And would you open up our eyes, as it says in the book of Psalms, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, dear Lord. 
as I say, move me aside. Let me not interfere with what you want to say to each of us. And now bless this time that we have together. Thank you so much for this church, this building, these people. Just thank you, Lord, for so many reasons. And we ask your blessings, Father, upon all of us. May we hear from your heart to our own, I pray. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Paul is using an example. By the way, verses 2 and 3, you can't use it to understand or try to make a, a case about marriage, divorce, and adultery. That's not what Paul is trying to do. There's plenty of places in Scripture that we can study that. What he is doing here is showing us the difference between how someone who is bound to, in this case, the law, is bound to the law until the law is dead. The law dies through Christ. We have to join ourselves with Him through the cross to be dead to the law and alive to Christ. That's what Paul is teaching. He's teaching all about being justified by faith. But once we are justified by faith, He is teaching us that we need to be then sanctified so that we bear fruit in and through our lives. That's the purpose of what He's trying to teach. Now, let's get about it. Paul is going to take us on this journey that we need to learn the difference between the law, faith, dying to self, and as verse 4 tells us, bearing fruit for God. Now, he is not diminishing the law of God. Let me, let me share with you why. In the Old Testament, God inspired Moses to write these words in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me read them for you. It shares the importance of the law of God. Moses writes, These words, meaning the law of God, which I am commanding you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your homes and on your gates. Solomon wrote concerning the law of God in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. He says, the conclusion, when all has been heard, is this. Fear God and keep His commandments. In other words, keep His law. Because, Solomon wrote, this applies to every person. The last command that was given by God in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, the fourth chapter, the fourth verse, is simply this. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, says the Lord God. So by the time Jesus Christ came upon the earth, understandably, through the Jews, many considered obedience to the law not only a demonstration of them being a godly person, but also a means of their salvation. It was Paul himself who wrote in the book of Philippians, he says, as far as the law is concerned, I am found blameless. In other words, as far as the law is concerned, he said, I've followed it to the T. I've made no mistakes. I am blameless as far as following the law. And so to make clear our Lord's high regard for the divine law that was given through Moses, 
Even Jesus Christ proclaimed these words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Listen what he says. Do not think, he says, that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. No. He says, I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter nor the stroke of the law shall pass away until all is accomplished. And so the law was purposeful as far as the Lord God is concerned. But purposeful for what? Now that's important for us to know in New Testament times. Paul had already penned these words in the third chapter of the book of Romans. We've already studied it. Verses 19 and 20. He said, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The reason the law was written was not... I've told you this a dozens of times. If you read the Bible and start feeling good about yourself, stop. Reread it again. You've misunderstood it. The Bible was written to show you how desperately you and I need a Savior. The, the law was written to show us that we're sinners and that there was, there's no hope for us apart from the Savior of this world. And so Paul wrote in chapter 6, verse 14, Sin shall not be master over you, because you are no longer under the law, he wrote. You are now under grace. And I love the words that Paul penned in the book of Galatians, the third chapter, verses 24, 25, and 26. Galatians, chapter 3, 24, 25, and 26. We've read this a number of times lately. He says, Paul, the law has become our tutor, meaning our teacher. Teaches us to do what? Goes on to say, to lead us to Christ. Let me read that again. It's important. The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Why? So that we may be justified by faith, not by the law. The law can't lead you or me to salvation. The law can only show us that we're sinners. So the law is our teacher to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified. Note what it says in verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We're no longer under the law. For, by, for you are all now, those of us who have trusted in Christ, we are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 24 through 26. Get to know it. Because it clearly teaches that salvation is all about faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And the law, the law has its purpose it was to show us how sinful we are and to draw us to Jesus Christ so that we might trust in Him by faith for the forgiveness of our sin. He is our Messiah, Savior, Lord. Now, let's go and look at verse 7, 1 through 6. Now, to understand this place, it would be difficult if we didn't have the Greek language to guide us. Paul's primary point in verse 1 relates to all the law, not just the law of God, as indicated by the Greek text, the absence of the definite article the before the noun law. Therefore, the literal translation is, 
in verse 1, to those who know law. In other words, to those who know right from wrong. Not the law, but no, no law. Let me give you a for instance. If a criminal dies, he is no longer subject to persecution and punishment. No matter how many his crimes are, no matter what he has done. For instance, remember the, the, the ex-cop who was killing innocent people and other cops just a while ago? I forget his name. It was Dorman, something like that? What was it? Dorner. And do and you remember what had happened? They, they, had, they, had, cap, they had kind of, uh, not captured him, but surrounded him up, on, up in the mountains somewhere, and he was either shot or burned to death during his capture. He was never brought to trial for all the hideous things that he has done. Why? Well, because he, he was assassinated. He was, he was dead. There was no need to bring him to trial. And so in verses 2 and 3, that's Paul's point. And it's not a point about marriage. It's not a point about divorce or an adulteress. It is all about death and no longer being under that, I don't want to put burden, because it's a husband. It's, a, it's, it's being separated from one's husband through death. Listen to what it says, verse 2 and 3. Read it with me carefully. But it isn't, it isn't the point. Paul is just trying to bring out some understanding for us. He says, the married woman, she is bound by law, by law, to her husband while he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is then released from the law concerning the husband. So then, here he gives the example. If while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is then free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, she is, though she is joined to another man. You see, he's dead, so she's not bound to the law. So verses 4 and 5 is Paul's spiritual teaching. He's trying to teach us about being dead to the law and alive to Christ. And we died to the law when Christ died upon the cross when we trust in Him. Let's read about it. Let's read verses 4 and 5. It is at this point that Paul explains his major point in this message. Therefore, he says in verse 4, My brethren, speaking to the family of God, you also, talking about the example he gave of a woman to a husband, you also were made to, to die to the law. How? through the body of Christ, so that you may be joined to another. To whom? To him who was raised from the dead, namely Jesus Christ. In order that, here's the purpose of being joined to Christ, so that we might bear fruit for God. That's the purpose of your life. Now he gives the other side of that coin, the other point of the example in verse 5. While you were in the flesh, in other words, before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, which is what I'm trying to teach over and over again, the law is just going to show you how desperately you need a Savior. The sinful passions that were aroused through reading this, you read it and say, oh my gosh, I need a Savior. That's what this is for. So before you came to Christ, when you, as it says in verse 5, were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, 
the law being our tutor, which ought to lead us to Christ, they were at work in the members of your body to not bear fruit for God, but to bear fruit for death. Let me make a point here. Here's what Paul is saying. Before a person comes to Christ, no matter what they do, no matter how good it is, it is fruitless before God. It is absolutely meaningless before God. Because he teaches in the Old Testament that even our righteous deeds that we do before coming to Christ are like filthy rags, right? Our righteous deeds are of no value. So a person who does good, 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 apart from knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it says it bears fruit for death. It's important to know. Just as death frees a woman of her husband from the marriage that she was in, Paul declares in verse 4, so our relationship with Jesus Christ frees us from the law, which only condemns us to death. In verse 4, we're made to die. It's in the Greek, it is T-H-A-N-A-T-O-O. It's in the aorist tense. It, it, it emphasizes a complete and finality to death. In other words, because this verb is in a passive form, now, you know I studied. Give me some credit, at least. This, I don't know Eris from passive form. But it indicates this, that the believer who has trusted in Christ and their Lord and Savior does not die naturally, and it's not by our own doing. No, what that means, when it says we're made to die, that means that God Almighty, by a divine act, put us, our old self, to death and brought our new self to life. What did he bring our new self to life for? To bear fruit for God. That's what he's teaching. That's the essence of this message. So that you and I might serve the law. I mean, excuse, excuse me, might serve one another. I just read the law there. I shouldn't have read that. So that you and I would serve one another under the the faith and trust that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, the law has only power to condemn a person to death for their sin. That's all that the law has power to do. It has no power to redeem you or me. The wages of sin is death. That's, that's an absolute. But the free gift of God is eternal life. That too is an absolute found in Jesus Christ our Lord. That too is an absolute. Three absolutes. So what's Paul's point? He is declaring that faith in Jesus Christ brings forth death to the law and consequently freedom to the believer from the law's penalty, which is death every time. Through the body, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ, who suffered the penalty of death on yours and my behalf, if we've trusted in Him, we are now freed from that relationship which binds us to the law. Just as the widow is freed from the relationship that she has with her dead husband, she is no longer bound to Him. Like that widow, we who have trusted in Christ are free to join ourselves to 
another husband, namely Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead. Let me, let me share with you how, how Scripture becomes more alive once you start studying like this. When, when you put one thing on another and you start to build Scripture upon Scripture. In 2 Corinthians, there's one of verses that's just a great verse, but now it, it means so much more to me anyways. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. I don't think I added that on the screen. Yeah, I did. It's on the screen. You did it, didn't you? Yeah. See? Daniel, you are amazing. He fixed it from the first service to this one. You're amazing. I love you, Daniel. You are so gifted and blessed, man, for us. That's, nobody asked him to do that. He did that on his own. Listen to this verse. Paul penned in 2 Corinthians. He says, I'm jealous for you, as he spoke to the Corinthian believers. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, he said. For I have betrothed you to one husband. I have betrothed you, he says, to Christ, so that I might present you to him as a pure virgin. I just absolutely, that verse becomes so much more alive now because I understand that I am now dead. What I am dead to, I'm dead to the law. The law has no hold on me anymore. All of this that tells me I'm going to hell is dead. It's gone. I've betrothed myself to the other one. I've betrothed myself to the one who raised from the dead, namely Jesus Christ. That's why we are called in Scripture as believers the bride of Christ, right? And in, in, in the book of Revelation it says that when we're up in heaven with the Lord, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to be His bride. We are going to be at that marriage supper of the Lamb. We have been betrothed to one husband so that we might be presented to Him as a pure virgin. Man, it, I love that verse. Paul is saying the underlying emphasis of the book of Romans at this point forward ought to produce a total transformation in our new lives in Christ. Remember, the theme now is not justified by faith. The theme now is we are sanctified, setting ourselves apart so that we might serve the Lord in and through our lives. You see, through Jesus' death on the cross and through His resurrection, it says that God made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our purpose of being joined to Jesus Christ is so that we might serve the Lord. Which brings another verse that Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, the second chapter, the tenth verse. It brings it even more to life because Paul wrote these words. You and I, once we've come to Christ, we are His workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. So that, no, which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. You see, the Lord God has given you a spiritual gift. Me a spiritual gift. He has given us a gift. And He has prepared something for us to do with this gift. And He has prepared it beforehand. All He asks you and me to do is walk in it. You know, there's absolutely no reason for a church, any church, but let's say this church right now. There's absolutely no reason for a church to 
to ask for volunteers to help. We should be standing at the door saying, I want to help. I want to use my spiritual gift. Let me help. Let me volunteer somewhere. And it, the burden really is upon the church to find enough for us to do something. And if there isn't enough, then we wait in line so that we can serve when the time is right. So that we put, don't put all the burden on the, 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 the few that do most of the work, but that all of us serve one another here within the family of God. We're His workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. He has prepared these good works beforehand so that we would walk in them. Listen to Paul's testimony. It's absolutely beautiful. It's in Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. He says, through the law, listen now, through the law, I died to the law. Paul says, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Him. And so therefore, he says, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. The life, he says, which I now live in the flesh here on this earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We ought to live like that, you and me. Peter calls the law a yoke which none of us could bear. In the book of Acts, the 15th chapter, around the 10th verse, Peter was arguing because some of the, the, the Jewish leadership were trying to make the Gentiles become circumcised, trying to make them like the Jews. He says, you can't do that to them. It's not fair. He says in, in Acts 15.10, why do you put God to the test? By placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke, that is the law, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. We we can't live up to this. Don't try to make us live by the law. We are now free. We are, we are people of faith. We live by faith. So what's Paul's point? A transformed life. Your life, once you come to Christ, will bear fruit. You will serve the Lord your God. Why? Because it's something you want to do. It's, it's, a, it's a desire of your heart to do. You should be married to another, that is, to Jesus. In this scenario, verses 2 and 3, the wife represents a believer in Christ. The second husband represents Jesus Christ. We are joined with him. The first husband, well, some say it's our old state before we came to Christ. Others say it's Adam. To me, it's, it doesn't matter. It's sinful. It's, it's, our, it's our old sin nature. And so the law has not been given to us to change us. No, we have been, it says, Behold, old things, our old life, has passed away. All things have now become new. We are new creatures, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Because we're not under the law anymore, but we are under grace. That's the fact of Scripture. The Bible says so. Look at the last verse, verse 6, that we're going to take a look at today. It says, Now we have been released from the law. The word released there means discharged or, 
or we're no longer under it. It's, it's dead to us. In fact, look at the paradoxes between verses 4 and 6. In verse 4, it says, we have been, we're died, We've died to the law. We've been joined to another who was raised from the dead, namely Jesus Christ, so that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 6, though, we have been released from the law. In other words, we've been, it's, it's no longer hold, has a hold on us so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit. Today, you and I are to serve the Lord. And we serve the Lord not to win bonus points. That's not why we serve Him. We serve Him because we love Him. And in this section of Scripture I was studying, it said Dr. J. Vernon McGee had this note that he kept in his wallet his whole life. And this is the poem. It was in his wallet. I loved it because I love Dr. McGee and I, any connection to him makes me feel good. He wrote this, and he had this in his wallet. He didn't write it. Somebody else wrote it, but he carried it in his wallet. He says, I do not work my soul to save. That work my Lord has done. But I will work like any other slave for the love of God's dear Son. Isn't that pretty? I do not work my soul to save. That work my Lord has already done. But I will work like any other slave for the love of God's dear Son. As far as you and I are concerned, our redemption, our being saved, is to produce a holiness within our lives, a sanctification. We, we, are, to, we are to set ourselves apart for the cause of Christ. And we are to set ourselves apart for the cause of Christ, for the body of Christ. Your gift is going to bless me or somebody else here in this room. Your gift is needed. Don't hoard it. Don't keep it from the body. One of my favorite places I told you I was going to end with, it's in John, 21st chapter. It's, um, it's when the, the disciples were fishing. Peter had given up on the Lord coming back. He thought it was done with, so he says, I'm going back to fishing. That's what he had done. And so they got in a boat, and they were fishing. They didn't catch anything. And the Lord says, put your net on the other side. And, and uh, you know, I mean, like the fish can't swim underneath the boat. They did. They get so much fish. And John looks, and he says, that's Jesus there on the shore, John, Peter. That's Jesus. To which Peter, boom, he jumps in, swims to the shore. By the time they all get to the shore, if you remember the story at all, and I encourage you to read it, it is absolutely beautiful. Jesus Christ has already prepared breakfast for them, and they eat. After they eat breakfast, he sits alongside of Peter, and he says Peter three times. You remember? He says, hey, Pete, do you love me? The word love there he used was agape. In other words, he says, Do you love me more than anything else on the face of this good earth? And Peter says, You know that I like you a lot. Didn't use the same word love. He used the word, the word love, which is phileo. So, so Jesus said to him, Well then, tend for my lambs. Then Jesus looked at Peter again the second time in verse 16, and he says, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape 
love me more than anything else on the face of this good earth? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I like you a lot. And Jesus said to him, Well, then shepherd my sheep. A little while later, it says in verse 17, Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you like me a lot? He uses the same word that Peter used for love here. He doesn't go to agape, he goes to philio. Do you like me a lot? Peter was grieved because the Lord said that to him the third time. Do you like me a lot? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you a lot. And Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. You see what is being said here? Part and parcel of our love for Jesus Christ is to care for one another. To take care of the sheep. And then our Lord loved Peter so much that he told him, Peter, this is how you're going to die for me. Peter, seeing John walking by the, by the way, said to him, uh, what about him? What about him? Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Peter, he says, what does it matter to you what I do with him? You follow me. That verse means a lot to me because I have a tendency to want to compare. What about them? What about that person or this person or the other person? And I can hear the Lord say to me like he did to Peter, John, what does it matter to you what I do with that guy or that girl? You follow me. That has done me well, this place in Scripture. What else has done me well in this place in Scripture is the whole idea of being a part of the family of God. Uh, that's why I'm... Um, Devoted to you, <laughs> I guess you could say. And that's why I love you so much. That's why I say it to you all the time. It's my call on life. It's yours too, by the way. It's not just mine. It's our call. Verse 4 is everything in this place. If you forget anything else I said, don't forget verse 4. My brethren, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to Him in order that you might bear fruit for God. Romans chapter 7 verse 4 might be the key to the whole book. I'm not sure. I'm not smart enough. It's just the key for this for this message. But I think it could be the key to the whole book. Our purpose in life is to serve our Lord and consequently one another. So I unashamedly tell you today I love you more than you'll ever know. Mark, I love you people very much. Doc, I couldn't love anybody more than I do you. Well, yeah, I can. my wife's here. Well, i got a man crush on you. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I do love you people more than, uh, more than you'll ever know. And I thank you for the privilege of being a part of this church. That's kind. Thanks. I, I would rather have gotten out of here without that, but that's, but that's kind. Uh, that's very kind.
Um, Father in heaven, <clears throat> Paul is just amazing. I know, Father, you let him. I know that. You gave him the words to say. I, I know that. But still, it's, um, it's good to thank you for, for putting meat on a person that's not perfect. Um, who fell short so that <clears throat> we could see uh, what forgiveness is all about and um, how we can live our lives and, and rise above mistakes and still live for you. And like Peter, Lord, may we get to a place where we tell you that we love you like, like agape love that we love you more than life itself. Thank you, Father, for this morning, these people. In Jesus' precious name, amen.